Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Today's podcast guest is a wife, a mother, an immigrant from Jamaica, served in the United States Marine Corps, is a former business owner, and has a heart to serve her community. And she's been the first on many fronts. She's been the first to hold elected positions as the first woman, the first black woman, or both for that particular position. And I'm anxious to talk to her about that. In November of 2001, she became the first black Republican woman to serve in Virginia's General Assembly. She's served in multiple organizations, along with being appointed to a lot of boards and and committees. She's made history again in 2021 when she was elected as the first woman and the first woman of color to be elected as the lieutenant governor of the great Commonwealth of Virginia. One of Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears' goals is to pass education success accounts for the students of Virginia. And this would allow parents to choose the best learning environment for their children. And she believes in in a simple premise, that a zip code shouldn't determine a student's educational options, but that each student should have a say in their educational choice. We welcome Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears. Lieutenant Governor, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so good to be with you. Yes. Now, I do have a couple of things here. I want to, as I was doing some research and, and Monica helped me, helps me do that research, I found a couple of things. First of all, this is interesting. You post a Christian song or hymn on your Twitter account. Tell us about that. Well, it's just because I like to start the session right. And I didn't know that people were watching as I was doing that. So I, I listen to a song and then I pray, ask for wisdom and discernment. And and um, so people started asking, what are you doing when you're up there? And one time a page told someone who was visiting, oh, she's praying, don't disturb her. So I thought, okay, I just let them know what song I was listening to. So that's why I do it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's that's great. Now, here's another one. I really I'm very anxious to hear about this. I found out you're a trained electrician. Yes. Okay. Was that from the mil- from the Marine Corps? Tell me about this. I want to know how a lieutenant governor is also a trained electrician. Well, because of my grandfather, I okay. remember him telling the older grandchildren that a college degree is wonderful, but to get a trade and that was because, of course, he survived the Great Depression. And, and so he said, if you can work with your hands and with a skill, you will always have a job. And so I thought when I joined the Marine Corps, oh, I, I'd like to become an electrician. He was a mechanic. And although now I have two college degrees, I also am an electrician. Now, it, I used to run up the poles as you can remember, you would have to wow. put the spikes on and then you would <laughs> climb up the poles <laughs> rather carefully. Sure. And uh, also I was a diesel mechanic in the Marine Corps because when you didn't have 
a power source, you had to have a generator. And we had sometimes the great big uh, 100 kilowatt generators that, you know, ran on diesel. So if they broke down, you'd have to know how to fix them. So you could smell me before you saw me sometimes, <laughs> but I always had lipstick. So <laughs> you had lipstick and smelled like diesel, huh? Smelled like diesel. Yes. So, uh, well, that's a great story. So, but that's unusual for, for, um, for fo- I mean, not everybody, elect- being an electrician is kind of an interesting trade. It's, uh, I mean, what got you interested in wanting to do that? Well, that's, again, that's my grandfather. And mm-hmm. I guess I could have chosen plumbing or carpentry right. or welding or mechanics. Or so, but uh, I don't know. Something about electricity fascinated me and has always, I guess, from the time when I was a little girl that I took an iron and put it on the side of my face to see if it was hot, you know. Um, was it hot? Was it hot? Yes. And I had the mark of an iron on my face, the side of my face for a little while there. But, and, uh, you know, there was a time, one time when we were wiring up, wiring a camp in the Marine Corps because we were doing some field exercises, playing war games, as we say. And I was wiring uh, the fluorescent lights and I was pushing the ballast together and I made a total contact and it threw me just about off the ladder with the electricity pulsing through me and thankfully i had a marine right behind me who caught me so yeah (laughs) interesting times it it is i i did when i was a kid i pulled off the back of a television set this was one of the old tv sets and (laughs) yeah and i i had it unplugged i was smart enough to unplug it but little did i know that they still held a little electricity and uh so I reached in with the screwdriver and touched something. Oh and I think I woke up five or six minutes later <laughs> laying next to the television. So yeah, you got to yeah. be careful. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, um, so of all of the things that you've done, you've got an amazing, first of all, you've got an amazing I- story as an immigrant to the United States, right? From Jamaica and, yes. uh, and your family coming to America. And I, I tell, take just a minute to tell that story and, and the greatness of this country. Well, my father wanted to come to America. It would have been easier for him to go to England because that's where quite a few Jamaicans went because it was, um, uh, remember, we were a British colony, just like America had been a British colony, but America, of course, uh, threw off that and became independent. Well, we were still... Um, we were still a British colony, so it was much easier to migrate to England. But he filled out the paperwork and, and did everything he could, um, signed all the documents, etc., and waited his turn to come to America. When he was finally allowed into America, it was August of 1963. It was just 17 days before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. So I asked my dad, why would you beg to come into America? Uh, It was a bad time for black people. And he said, because this is where the jobs and the opportunities were. Mm -hmm. So where he, you know, for some people, there were issues. um, He saw opportunity. He was going to, yes, despite those issues, he America was where he thought he could make a start for himself, a second chance. And it was. 
and no one is saying that bad things weren't happening. They were absolutely happening. I mean, there were real dog whistles. There were real fire hoses. We couldn't live where we wanted. We, we couldn't even eat where we wanted. Um, and we were being lynched. So, but he still thought America was the best place. And so here I am. Here I am now, um, the beneficiary of that. I'm not even first-generation American. I'm still the kid who came off the plane. So, And here you are, the lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia, right, which was a southern state. Yeah, I mean, second in command, second in command in the former capital of the Confederate States. So I know that people, you know, say America is this and America is that, and they think of everything bad that they can say. But look— we have to admit that God has given us the ability to, to move ahead and things have changed. Otherwise, how could I be elected here in the former capital of the Confederacy? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Your story is America's story. And uh, there's just no doubt about that. Of all your accomplishments thus far in your life, what, what, what are you most proud of? Oh, gee. Um, I think... More than anything else, I not that I accomplished, but that I was given opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. The Marine Corps gave me a second chance. It saved my life. Uh, America gave my dad a second chance, and for me it was the Marine Corps. And I'm I, so grateful for them because when I needed the discipline, they were there and uh, I needed that discipline because my grandmother died when I was 18 and I was getting ready to go to college. I had my books ready, my curriculum all set. And then she died two months before. And I just knew that my life was over and I just could not continue. And the Marine Corps gave me that discipline. So I think that's what I'm grateful for. Yeah. Wow. What, what a, what a story. Now, You've, you've got a heart, a really kind of a heart to serve your community, and I can see that. I think most most Americans can see that. Where do you think that comes from? Well, um, I don't come by it naturally because, you know, I, I, have, <laughs> I have been a mean person. And uh, every now and then it wants to rear its ugly head because that's who we are. You know, we're, we're sinful people after all. But right. I, it's because of my relationship with Jesus. He's changed me, and every day I have to wake up and, you know, remind myself that I've been given a wonderful opportunity to serve, and that's what I'm going to do. And so, yeah, it's not anything innate, you know. Uh, You never have to teach a child how to lie. You never have to teach a child how to be selfish. It just, that's who we naturally are. Mm -hmm. So God has uh, changed me. Wow. Well, what what a, what a great uh, what a great answer. So, Governor Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, declared February twenty third as Winsome Earl Sears Day. So, what did it, what did that feel like? That had to be a great moment for you. You know, as I said, I I <laughs> didn't even really realize that he had done it. Uh, I knew that he did it last year, but I didn't know he had re-upped it. And <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just me. I, I'm. I'm a nobody, and, 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 you know, some people keep telling me, no, you're not a nobody. And No, no, my belly hurts <laughs> just like everybody's, you know. Um, yeah. And, and I, I'm still adjusting to my role as lieutenant governor. I don't think I'll ever adjust to it in the sense that 
I'll think I'm better than anybody just because of what I said before, you know, um, I know that ultimately I have to make sure that God is pleased with what I do. And as long as I put other people first and, and do the righteous thing, which is not always the easy thing, then I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, and that's humility. And I'll tell you, that's something where that's in short supply in some of our political leadership today is humility. And so I think people see that in you and they recognize that in you. So I I wanted to point that out. Now, this past legislative session, you were a a big supporter of education success accounts. What what would these accounts have done in Virginia? Well, what we were trying to accomplish was finally, at last, parents would be able to decide where to send their children to school. I call it the new Brown versus Board of Education fight. Uh, I believe that parents are always responsible for their children. You just let something happen to the child and bam, immediately the parents are called. So in Virginia, for example, uh, the state law says that there must be 990 hours of instruction and of, of public education instruction. And if you consider that from K through 12, then then you're talking about about 13,000 hours of a child being in public education. That's a lot. And we need to have parents to be a part of that decision making to say, well, I'd like to spend my money elsewhere or one. My child learns better in a different environment. So that's what we were trying to do and how it would work would be that two-thirds of the funds, educational funds, would stay in the local schools. That is something I couldn't understand why that would be controversial because what we were hearing is that, well, now we're taking public monies and giving it to private institutions. Well, let's examine that. We already do that in all of the Mm -hmm. country. We have SNAP food benefits. That's where the government, of course, gives money in the form of a voucher, some kind, to the uh, to people who are uh, at a certain poverty level. There is not a public grocery store; it's private. They have Medicaid and Medicare, and that's where public monies goes to private doctors and private hospitals. That's public monies that's guaranteed to private institutions sometimes. You know, it's Section 8. Section 8 again. Public money goes to private landlords. So it's a, it's a specious argument, and there are those who just want to control our children. And finally, parents are saying, no, we want to make that decision for our children. And by the way, you know that we can do both. We can have public education and private education, parochial education, homeschool whatever it is, mm-hmm. but the parents should be able to make that decision. That is all. You know, and, 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 and Lieutenant Governor, that's such a great, I mean, you great, gave some great examples there. I'll give you what I think is another one. We do it in higher education, right? We have Pell Grants and government exactly. student loans, and you can take those and go to Notre mm-hmm. Dame, or you can go to a, mm-hmm. a private, a, a public school. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that is a, a, a terrible mm-hmm. argument that folks make. And I will say, you see it happening in state after state across yes. America, uh, education savings accounts and, and, uh, and these things happening. 
This is the wave of the future. It's going to happen. And the sooner a state gets on board, the better off they're going to be for the the children of that state. So. I, I think so. And I think um, here's here's another thing that they've uh, the other side has said is that, well, um, this is this, you know, public money going to private institution, it's really only going to help the rich. Really? Do you think rich parents are waiting on a government program to decide where to send their children to school? No. They make those decisions, whether it's the the choice of the neighborhood or they send them to private schools. It, it, it's, it's nonsense. It's the rest of us that don't have that ability. And I think if you introduce competition into education, it will lift all boats. And finally, when you consider that if the child isn't there in the public school seat, but you get to keep two thirds of that money, imagine that. And finally, also, you have where you have reduced class size. It's a win-win. Right. Now, I'm sure you heard from parents in, across Virginia. Did you hear some stories from parents who were being held back by this 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 government rule, this government barrier that, that's been imposed? Yes, there are, you know, I, I hate when politicians use the wickedness that black people have historically suffered for their own agenda. And so we we constantly heard that, you know, the, the black parents didn't want this, black parents didn't want this, and by the way, did I say black parents didn't want this? Well, we had so many black parents who told us, no, we want to make this decision. We don't like what we see. We want different choices for our children. And who are these uh, politicians to tell us otherwise? And we finally also saw where you had Democrats who were just straight up hypocrites about this. They, in fact, teach in the public schools, but they send their children to private schools and they demand that we keep doing that. Wait a minute. If you think that publication is education is so wonderful, why don't you take your children out of private school and put them in public school? You've mm-hmm. made a choice and you don't want anyone else to make that choice. So a lot of eyes were opened. We heard from so many parents, not just black parents, Latino parents, heard from parents in rural areas, urban areas everywhere who wanted this this choice. And some of them were Democrats and said, you know, we thought differently. We didn't know that these folks didn't want us to make these choices. Right. Now, so at the end of the session or at the end of the day, why didn't education success accounts in Virginia? Why didn't they pass? Well, you know, it's one of those things uh, where people have asked me, Winsome, what did you think you accomplished this year? And I, th- and I said, my greatest accomplishment was my greatest failure. And it was that we didn't get the ESA through. But you see, now we know who we're really up against. We now know who the real players are. We now know what the real arguments are. We now know... Um, all the people who will support, and we, we know so many things that we didn't know before. Some things, you know, we had an inkling, and now we know for sure. And we're coming back again next year, and we're going to keep fighting. We will continue to fight until parents have the ability to make the decision on where to send their children to school. 
for themselves. We are no longer worshiping the brick building. The money must follow the child. Okay, now I know that you've got, uh, you know, you're going to continue working on ESAs again next year. You you Mm -hmm. just said that. You're going to keep pushing this. Uh, What other barriers, what are some of the barriers, I guess, that you see facing minority uh, citizens, particularly in Virginia? Well, our schools have been failing and they've, they didn't just start failing. They were failing pre-COVID. COVID policies exacerbated it because, you know, there were times you would hear that um, Republicans wanted to reopen schools and they were called racist and white supremacists because they said we wanted, you know, the black children to die. It made no sense. I remember hearing that about Chicago. It was crazy. Um, And what do we now know? That black children suffered the worst learning loss more than any other group. What we also know is that prior to COVID, one one school principal told us in the heavily populated um, black middle school, she said that normally black children come to her two years behind. First of all, why are they coming to her when they're behind, they should be uh, in full immersion, full e- learning to bring them up to grade level before they are moved on. You know, this social passing on, it, it, it's a travesty to the child. Well, then she said, now that COVID policies have occurred where the schools were locked down, now they're four years behind. What am I supposed to do? Oh, my God. So we've got a problem on our hands where the NAEP scores, you know, the National Assessment for Educational Proficiency, it's the nation's gold card. It was telling us that by 2019 in Virginia, um, 35% of Asian children, by the time they reached the fourth grade, could not do math. When it came to white children, it was 45%. When it came to... Uh, Latino children, 70%. And this number brought tears to my eyes. 84% of black children were failing math by the time they reached fourth grade. And by the way, 85% of them were functionally illiterate. Don't tell me it's working. Our parents know that it's not working, and that's why they want change. And they will do whatever it is to help their child to succeed. And that's why we won in Virginia, because you can talk about party loyalty all you want. But when Democrats saw that their children weren't learning, they jumped, they jumped ship and they voted for us. Right. You know, these numbers that you just read off, these are scandal. I mean, these are scandalous. Uh, When you think uh, 84% of, of black children in Virginia are not proficient in, in, uh, in, in math, at their grade level. And they almost uh, never catch up. Right. You need well, absolute immersion. And, and here's the thing. In Virginia, um, almost all of the private schools were open five days a week for a whole year when public schools were closed. And I asked one, one uh, schoolmaster uh, of, of a private school, did COVID not come to your school? And he said, of course. But you know what we did? We sent the child home, cleaned everything, and kept going because we don't get paid to stay home. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's incredible. And even if you look at the the number that you gave was, I think, let me see if I got this right, 35% of Asian students children. in Virginia, yes. uh, children, were were not failing proficient. Math. Is that, we're failing yeah, math. Failing math by the so, fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So that only means 65% were, were proficient and, and were doing okay. I mean, those are not good numbers. That's, a, that's still an F. It, it still is. When you're part of the 35% that's failing and you almost never catch up, that, that's, that's a problem. You know, I think it was Marcus Aurelius who said crime is, is poverty is the mother of crime. So the school to prison pipeline has already started because mm-hmm. where are you going to, how far do you think you'll get in life without a skill? How far do you think you're going to get in life if you're uneducated or undereducated even? Who will hire you? So that's another reason why we've got, I mean, we cannot afford to lose these lives. These children's lives are precious. And I will fight tooth and nail to have our education system changed. My father came to America with only $1.75 in his pocket. And the only reason he's successful today is because he took any job he could find and use that money to put himself through school, started his education, started his career. Education will pull all of us out of poverty. And that's why it's so important to me. I didn't just come to it last year or this year. 22 years ago, when I was first elected to the House of Delegates, I put in a bill so that we could have charter schools increased by allowing even higher ed institutions be a part of charter schools. And my God, after 22 years, we still only have seven, seven charter schools in all of Virginia. When even in democratically controlled Washington, D.C., they have a hundred and what, 40 or something like that? Hmm. Come on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's incredible. And these are government-imposed barriers on success. This is a system. It's trapping folks into a, a system that, that they don't have the means to get out. But it's government. It's these government barriers that are imposed by government that are making this happen. And we well, have to break those barriers. let's call it what it is. It's not government. Specifically, we've got to get to this is a political party and sure. a political mindset. And we've got to call a spade a spade because the people have to know why they don't have school choice. And Mm -hmm. it is because we have extreme, not all Democrats, but extreme Democrats who are determined to vote against a parent making a decision on where they want their child to go to school. If it's the public Mm -hmm. school, fine. If it's a private school, fine. If it's homeschool, fine. You probably already know the, the statistics are showing us that Black parents are the largest growing segment of homeschoolers, homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. And, and but the, the Democrats would have you believe that all black parents want their children to go to public school. Who made those decisions for us? So if we want different, we've got to vote differently. Mm-hmm. Did, did, did you have Democrats who you, you clearly had some Democrats who supported you on this? issue correct from the community yes but not any who were elected no none elect no elected I mean, democrats we, in the 
Virginia we, legislature did. We tried and tried. We went and showed statistics. We went and showed that in your district, we had a plurality of, of uh, parents who want school choice. But you see, when you have the unions giving you a lot of money, and when you have the unions knocking on the doors for you, when you have the unions doing a lot, the teacher unions, then, you know, I guess you're going to be beholden to a certain mindset and a certain talking point. So that's what that's what we found. Well, let's hope that uh, some Democrats do come on board. Obviously, you want that. You want them to come on board and pass these good transformative policies. So let's hope that they do that. Yeah, because this is about the children. This is not yeah. about a political party. Our children are failing. What about right. that? Don't people understand yeah i we just have a couple of minutes left but i did want to bring something up i you bring your faith uh with you as lieutenant governor um you know to well actually to everything you do and and i think a lot of people who are who who are maybe non-faith they're not religious or whatever they also bring their worldview to their job and somehow that seems okay to 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 some people right everybody brings their worldview to it but when it comes to freedom of speech, and particularly when it comes to, to sort of faith speech, I'll, I'll say, how, how important is that to you? How important is it to Virginia? How important is it to America that we be tolerant of people talking about their faith, their worldview, those sorts of things? Well, see, that's what makes America, America, that you can speak your mind, you know, and someone doesn't show up at your door and wanting to throw you in jail without even due process. And I think right. that's all of life. Uh, there's one thing to, to tolerate something, but then to be forced to like it and to be forced to love it, that's not tolerating. That's you dictating to me your worldview and you're going to like it. That's not America. And we've got to guard against that. When I think about how America was started, you know, um, people came here for freedom of religion. And how can it be then now it's turned against us? So I would say to Americans, be careful uh, let us all learn to live together. Um, we don't all have to believe the same thing, but we can respect and tolerate each other's positions. But, you know, we can't be at each other's throats. We can't have another civil war. We, 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 we have to be careful of these revolutions that are beginning to happen where, you know, it's animal farm. I like to think, you know, um, what's happening seems to be that it's not 1963 when my father first came to America when there were, again, real water hoses and that sort. It's actually 1984 where we have certain people dictating to others how we will think even. And if we don't uh, toe the line, then we lose our jobs. We lose everything. We lose friends. It, it's just amazing to me how far we're going um, in, in granting government too much too much um, control. So I just say all that to say, let's be careful. Yeah. Well, and you know, you mentioned the word tolerance and that's, that's literally what this is about, right? Is us tolerating other people's views. And for mm -hmm. that to happen, people of faith also have to tolerate people who don't have faith and, and want right. to, to, to say what they do. So tolerance is such an important part of this that we all tolerate 
uh, other people and, and their viewpoints, right? None of us makes decisions from a vacuum. That means we would have to empty our heads in order to do that. It's, it's nonsense. That never happens. We all have a certain point of view upon which we make any decision. And, and so whether you're Christian, Jew, Hindu, atheist, uh, you know, whatever you are, um, you all come with a certain viewpoint. That's fine. I'm not shoving mine down anybody's throats. And I don't want anyone else to shove it down my throat. You want to wear a symbol? Wear a symbol. You don't want to wear a symbol? Don't wear a symbol. But don't force me to do what you want me to do. I'm not going to do that to you. Don't do that to me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, look, I started this, uh, our conversation before we went on air. I told you about my my daughter, who's 20, who found Mm -hmm. out I was interviewing you. And she said, Man, just tell her what a hero she is. And I just want you to know, it's not just my daughter. I think there's a lot of 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 young, particularly young women who are out there, young women and young girls, particularly probably in the state of Virginia, who you're really a role model for them. And I, I want to encourage you in that. Um, I, I'm sure you know that, but your humility probably doesn't let you, uh, allow you to publicly admit it too much. Well, it's a heavy burden, you know. <laughs> sure. It's a it's a heavy burden, and I'm just flesh and blood. Um, I, I'm trying to do the best that I can, and always hoping that you know God is pleased. And so I think because you can't please everybody, and you shouldn't try to, because sometimes the right thing doesn't always please and uh, everyone, and so you just have to do the best you can. No, well, great. And I need a hero myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I appreciate all you're doing and thanks for taking the time uh, just to talk to us and share your wisdom and your thoughts on all of this. You're, you're a great policy champion. And as I said, a great role model for, for many people. So thanks for taking the time today. Well, thank you very much. And I, and God bless all of you. All right. Thank you. Uh, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears. Oh, I had one more question for you. I forgot. Winsome, the name Winsome. I love the name Winsome. By the way, you're the first person I've ever heard with that first name. How did that come about? I meant to ask that. Well, um, Winsome is a known girl's name in Jamaica. Um, it's okay. not common, but it's known, and it's a, a more of a British name. It's still, you know, we didn't throw off our colonialisms. Um, so uh, mm-hmm. my my mother actually had a a best girlfriend, and her name was Winsome. Uh, she's Indian, and um, The Indians who came to Jamaica uh, came from, of course, India. So we we call them East Indians. Um, The native Jamaicans died out during Columbus time. So everybody in Jamaica now is is really a come here. So we have Chinese, we have uh, Arabs, we have uh, Indians. Of course, we have black people and uh, white people. Most of the white people who actually came to Jamaica were Irish believe it or not not english they were irish so and we got a a big old mixture going on yeah well that's great i i meant to ask that at the beginning and i totally forgot but i'm (laughs) glad i got it in so hey thanks lieutenant governor thanks for all you do appreciate you joining us today yes thank you all right thanks for listening to american potential 
Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com. 